There's something wonderful about today's readings, and uh, I think uh, God in his providence knows exactly what he's doing when he gives us uh, readings like this. First, I'll I'll start with the book of Samuel. Uh, the, The verses right before we begin today starts with, in those days, calls from the Lord were very rare. And out of that understanding, perhaps, we can understand why poor Samuel, a young man, a young boy, did not understand what was happening when he heard the voice of God in the middle of the night. First, remember that Samuel was a gift to his mother Hannah. Hannah uh, was barren and, and had been caught praying by Eli. Eli, go home, woman, you're drunk. And I'm not drunk, I'm disturbed. Well, the Lord is going to give you a child, Eli said. She went home and she conceived and bore a son. And after Samuel was weaned, she brought him back to Eli as a gift to God. So Eli and Samuel had some more than uh, just a familiarity. There was a great respect for each other. But poor Samuel didn't understand why, why he was hearing this voice. And so three times, but even Eli, the priest, didn't understand. It took him three times, too. I uh, find myself wondering, you know, if that was true then, isn't it more true now that we're so unaccustomed to hearing the voice of the Lord that when the Lord calls, we so often miss it, and we need somebody to point it out to us. As poor Samuel wasn't looking, wasn't listening for the voice of God. He just didn't understand that that could happen. Oh, but after, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, after, nothing stopped him from hearing the voice of God, and he became a, a prophet with great power, great authority. He could go to kings and correct them. Or today in our gospel reading, we have uh, John the Baptist, of course, pointing out the, uh, the Lamb of God. And this is not a typical phrase. Those that are steeped in the theology of the Old Testament would have understood, but otherwise, it would be so easy to overlook, well, what's this? What, what is he saying? But the Lamb of God, the one that the God the Father has sent into the world to be the, the sacrifice, to be the one who reconciles the world to himself. Behold that Lamb of God. And Andrew and whoever the other apostle, disciple was, heard that invitation of John. And though they had been followers of John, they were followers of John only because they expected John to point out the Messiah when he came. If you remember, John the Baptist, and this is only the first chapter of St. John's Gospel, but John the Baptist already had said, there's one coming after me who is greater than I because he existed before me. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so when John points out the Lamb of God, they were expecting it. And so they could follow. I have to admit in my own personal prayer, I can't help it, but see them kind of scurrying around behind Jesus and just kind of hiding behind things, trying to, trying to figure out who is this? Who, you know, what is it? And Jesus, of course, seeing them. What are you looking for? Jesus asked this question actually a second time in the Gospel of John, in the garden, as he's arrested. 
Whom are you looking for? It's a question that he asks everyone, every single believer, whether we want to be a follower or, as at the end, that we just don't want to be a follower. Andrew and the other, where are you staying? This isn't them staggering and stammering for for a response. This is them asking a deeper question, asking for a deeper understanding. Where you're staying is not just we want to see where you live. It's we want to see how you live. We We want to understand your life. But first, of course, they go, after they're invited by the Lord, come and you will see, they go, Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon. We found the Messiah. We found him. See, they knew what they were looking for. That reminds me of a story, and it was was told to me when I was in high school. It was by a a famous poet, I think Robert Frost, but don't quote me on that. But it's a story that an old man and his grandson were sitting on the porch one day, and a caravan of uh, our wagon train came by, and the person leading the wagon trade said, Say, old man, are the people here mean? Do they hate each other? Do they backbite? Do they gossip about each other? Do they have murderous spirits? And the old man said, Yeah, yeah, I reckon you're going to find those kind of people around here. Thanks. And they went on. A couple hours later, another wagon train came by and Say, sir, are the people here good? Do they love each other? Do they support each other? Are they kind? Do they seek God's will for each other? Yeah, yeah, I reckon you're going to find those kind of people around here. Oh, great. I think we're going to homestead here. And the grandson looked at the grandfather as they rode off and said, Grandpa, what is it? The first group you said we were terrible people. The second group you said we're great people. Well, people will find the kind of people they're looking for. I, more than anything else, I've been finding myself remembering that this last week. We, there's a thing called confirmation bias, and uh, certainly it is true. It doesn't matter our politics or whatever. Uh, that confirmation bias has been part of our lives. We tend to find what we're looking for, and so if we hear something that kind of confirms what we think is true, well, that's all it takes. You know, I, I don't want to play too much politics, but if we think President Trump is an awful president, all it takes is for somebody to say, well, this is what he did. Isn't that terrible? And, oh, we're right on that bandwagon. Or if we think President Trump is a great president, all it takes is somebody to point out something good that he did, and uh, then, we're, then we're on that. The mystery of the human person is bigger than confirmation bias. And I think that's what we need to remember as mysterious as Jesus Christ is, he reveals that every human being is a mystery, not one to be just simply yes or no, up or down, good or bad, but we're a mix. And we're going to find what we're looking for in each other. In the end, I think following Jesus Christ reminds us We come to every human person, much as we do to Christ, to recognize we don't fully understand. We need to let Jesus Christ show us who he is. 
And if that's true, then we need to understand that we don't fully understand each other. That confirmation bias is one that is, has been part of our lives and, and certainly as we gather on Friday and remember the tragic, and it is tragic, decision of Roe versus Wade, I, I hear, well, it's, uh, Supreme Court has decided and it's, it's done. Well, the Supreme Court has made other decisions that have been reversed, the Dred Scott decision being one of them. In the Roe versus Wade decision, it was in the uh, hidden, in the, it's a right to privacy issue, which it's confirmation bias at its finest. Every time I talk about abortion, I, I'm told, well, it's a medical decision. It's a political discussion. It's, it's you know, maybe it's a morality little, little bit, but it's all these other things, so you really can't talk about it. And on and on and on it is that, that we, we reduce it to all these little things instead of seeing it what it really is, that it is a human issue. So often those that would resort to abortion are told that there is no other choice confirmation bias. They're told that the only option they have is to terminate the pregnancy, and isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? We dehumanize, depersonalize the infant in the womb. There's 46 individual chromosomes in each human person. From that first moment of conception, that infant has a unique set of chromosomes. Except for identical twins, every human being is different. That unique chromosomal mix. People have been convicted of crimes based on DNA. If the, that infant in the womb has unique DNA, maybe we should treat it a little bit special. If I remember right, it says 12 weeks that fingerprints are formed in the unborn infant. 12 weeks, people are convicted of crimes based on fingerprints alone. Maybe, maybe, there's a mystery here. Instead of allowing abortion, maybe we should see and try to, try to help the person to see that there are other ways. And here we are, and, and here I am in the middle of Southwest Minnesota is a wonderful place to be, but we don't have too much of a voice out here, do we? And thank God we don't have uh, an abortion clinic within a uh, number of miles or whatever, but that doesn't let us go. And I know so many of you work for the pro-life causes of crisis pregnancy centers. We donate to those centers. We donate maybe to uh, Minnesota Citizens Concern for Life. We put up billboards and we try to educate each other Perhaps some of you, like me, have written our senators and our, our different politicians. I have to admit, I'm disappointed in, in them sometimes. I get a response ba back basically saying, thanks for your letter, and it's obvious they haven't written and read the letter. We need to call each other out to help us to see that confirmation bias when it comes to abortion is not good, that we need to help those in need, and those that have uh, gone for abortion or those that have fathered children that have been aborted, 
to help them find healing. And there is healing. And there is need for healing. God always forgives. But it's not only, of course, abortion, which, uh, of course, Roe versus Wade decision 48 years ago. I'd like to point out, it's easy for me to remember because it was four months after I was born. My classmates were among those first deemed worthy of death in the name of privacy and convenience. But how abortion has led to other issues, euthanasia, oh, it's so much easier to just not feed somebody who's in the process of dying, or even worse, we give them medicines, so-called, to hasten their death. Or this week we saw capital punishment again. Death is always a failure. And while capital punishment, the church teaches, may be moral to protect society, in our society, it's always immoral. We have other ways, other means. We need to be strong. And if we're looking for life as an inconvenience, life as, as hard and struggling, if we're looking for life as, as uh, just impossible to live, then we're going to see confirmation of that. But if we see life as a great mystery, the human person is a great mystery, something not to be understood, but to be loved, to be nurtured, someone to be understood as much as we can, somebody to be helped as much as we can, we will, in the end, really see the mystery of God. St. John Paul II tells us that Christ reveals man to himself. He's not just talking man, of course, he's talking humanity. When we are hear Jesus Christ telling us, come and you will see, he's telling us. You will understand who I am. You will understand who you are. You will begin to understand who each human being is, created in love, created in the image and likeness of God, created unique, created special, created from that first moment of conception. Yesterday during the the uh, funeral, they chose the call of Matthew. And I began to understand or, or, or to, to pray on it that this understanding that any time the Lord calls our name, he speaks life. This day he's calling each of our names, born and unborn, calling us to life. Do we see that? And if we do, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to help? Maybe this week to discern one way we can help those in need, especially in crisis pregnancies. One thing we can do, whether it's write our politicians or give to the crisis pregnancy centers, maybe it's to help a neighbor who is in need, who's struggling, whatever it is, that we can hear the voice of Christ calling us, telling us, Come and you will see.